Over the Wall podcast. We're going to dive into some Saints talk. Saints just dropped a tough one against the Vikings. Um, overtime loss in the wild card round. Once again, another soul-crushing loss in the playoffs for the Saints. That's now three years in a row. Um, so we'll dive into just that particular game. Um, you know, lots of key plays, uh, missed opportunities. Um, so like I said, we'll, we'll kind of dissect that game in particular. But what I really want to dive into later on will be more of the, the ramifications of this loss. Um, and, and we're going to do a, a big picture of the Drew Brees, Sean Payton era. Um, you know, just just kind of what it means. Um, it, it's coming to an end. Obviously, Drew Brees is going to be 41 years old, I believe, in a week or two. Um, is he done? So, like I said, we're going we're gonna to kind of dissect it all, talk about Drew Brees' legacy, Sean Payton's legacy with Drew Brees. We'll also get some other football topics. Obviously, LSU right around the corner, big game um, in New Orleans, national championship against Clemson. So let's dive into it. The Saints drop an absolutely soul-crushing loss once again in the playoffs to the Vikings in the wild card round. Um, that's not three years in a row. You get the Minnesota Miracle, last play of the game, um, loss to the Vikings in 17. Um, last year, the, the blown P.I. call against the Rams that would have sent you to the Super Bowl, probably the hardest one to swallow out of all of them. Um, this one right here, overtime loss, you can argue the P.I. call, which we'll get into um, later. Once again, tough, just because going into this game, you were an eight-point favorite. In the NFL, that is a very, very big line. I mean, that was the biggest line going into wildcard weekend. Tough, tough loss. The past three games in the playoffs, the Saints have played. So let's go back to last year. Divisional round against the Eagles, um, NFC Championship against the Rams, and then this game against the Vikings, I thought the Saints um, played poorly, especially offensively. And mainly we'll focus on that because I do think the defense played really, really well and kept them in this game uh, along with the playoffs last year. I thought they, they held up and they did a great job. Um, but offensively, and I don't know what it was, last year I can really pinpoint that Drew Brees down the stretch looked just, just tired and didn't have the arm strength to push the ball down the field. And, and in this game, I probably could make the same argument. Really struggled to stretch the field, but I thought a lot of that was to do with the O-line. I thought they got absolutely manhandled today. Um, Daniil Hunter, Griffin just dominated them up front. Um, and this is the Saints O-line that I, I thought was really, really good. But they just got eaten alive today. And, and that that's the story of the game. They lost on both sides of the ball, the line of scrimmage. And that's what it's all about. I mean, a big thing I've always said... Um, with Sean Payton, and he does this from time to time, is that he just completely abandons the run. I mean, they had zero running game at all today, and I thought that was the downfall of the game. I mean, you can't just let 40-year-old Drew Brees sit back there and the defense know he's throwing the football every down. They're just going to come at him, you know, guns a-blazing and – when you get guys like Daniil Hunter and Everson Griffin, I mean, they were ready to roll. And they just attacked him, put pressure on him, and just took him off the spot. And remember, Drew Brees is 40 years old. He's not Patrick Mahomes. He's not Lamar Jackson. He's not one of these younger guys, Deshaun Watson, who are mobile, who can make things happen. He's kind of not necessarily a sitting duck like a Tom Brady, but, you know, it got him into trouble, especially that strip sack late in the game. That 
changed the, the game completely right there. Um, that was huge. So once again, I think that's the story of the game, is that the offensive line got manhandled, and you know that just took the offense off their game. They couldn't run the ball. And even just late in the game, look, Taysom Hill had things going. I would have kept going with Taysom Hill. I just feel that you can't abandon the run. You have to, to mix it up somehow, some way. Because just remember, this isn't Drew Brees 10 years ago, you know, even six, seven years ago. He doesn't have the arm strength right now to throw the ball down the field, to stretch the field. So you have to kind of live off that play action to, to get something going, to stretch the field just a little bit. And, I mean, they just couldn't. So story of the game right there, the O-line gets dominated, which, you know, was huge. Let's talk about some missed opportunities. So uh, early on in the game, first drive, you cause a turnover, uh, the fumble, and then you get in the red area and you have to settle for three. And I thought that was huge. And that just reminds me a lot of that Rams game last year where it's like it's this early in the game. If you score a touchdown right there, that is momentum. You take it from them. I mean, that, that's a huge momentum blow to the Vikings, and you had to settle for a field goal. I thought that was really, really big in the game. Also, one that was head-scratching, just because I thought Drew had played really, really well, mistake-free, uh, the past six, seven games. Um, I, don't think, I think he was like 15 touchdowns, zero picks, and you know, two-minute warning's about to come up. They have 20 seconds left. He hurries, gets the line on third down, and he throws into double coverage down the field, that was just such a head-scratching play. And it's okay, I guess, if the guy picks it off and he gets tackled right in the spot, but he ends up returning it into the Saints' territory. And that gives them points. That was huge, 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 huge. But then the Saints get the ball back. Deontay Harris has a phenomenal kickoff return. Um Throw to Michael Thomas, sets you up for what you would think would be, I guess, a chip shot field goal to Will Lutz, and he misses it. Once again, that is momentum going into the locker room. You're not tied, and that three points would have been huge. And, and that's another one you could pinpoint. And obviously, to me at least, the biggest one is you're driving. you got about four minutes left because, remember, it's 20 to 10 going to the fourth. Bam, Saints score. You're feeling it. You're feeling good. You get a stop, get the ball back. You're driving. You know, I, I forgot the exact play, but they just they nailed the big. I actually think it was the Taysom Hill run. So now you have the building going crazy. Momentum is on your side. And strip sack. I mean, and, and that's not Drew's fault. I mean, Daniel Hunter broke free um, and made a great play. And that, to me, was the game changer. Because I, I truly felt with the momentum they had going right there, they were going to get a touchdown. They were going to get six. But you didn't even get three right there. Even if you don't even get six, that's three points right there, and that is a game winner. So lots of things. And even then, you know, not, not to say that I believe in, in luck or, or anything of that nature, but look at the turn. It was just one of those days. I mean, on one possession, you had two turnovers you thought you had. You had one you thought for a touchdown, another one you thought you had. And then on like one of the, I think it was like two, three minutes left when uh, Cook fumbles, his knee was down. But he fumbles and you scoop and score. I mean, it's like three plays you thought you had crucial turnovers and it just did not go your way. Hell, you didn't even get the coin toss in overtime to go your way. Um, so just, just one of those days, and once again, 
you thought going into this game that it was just going to be an easy one, eight-point favorite. Um, but, man, just a tough loss. And you have to start thinking to yourself, you know, this is going to come to an end very soon. The Saints have kind of run out of their chances third year in a row. Drew Brees is going to be 41 to start of next year. I mean, is he coming back? I don't know. We'll get into that a little later on. But another thing I want to get into, and this is where people just wear me out. And especially, it's really the media because a lot of times what I do is after a game that I'm interested in, I check Twitter to see what you know the media heads are talking about, the prominent voices. And, and I'm seeing a lot of people um, criticize Sean Payton for the game management, so to speak. Because late in the game, uh, 20 seconds left, Kamara with the uh, you know, false start when they're trying to spike the ball. Look, the reality is, where they had the ball? Like a 20-yard line? Personally, it would have been tough, in my opinion, to score a touchdown right there. And they're saying, since there's a 10-second runoff, you could have took a timeout and got the 10 seconds back. Maybe. But, I mean, look, that's not why they lost the game. You're just trying to pinpoint dumb stuff. That's not why... Um, I didn't think the game management was that bad right there. I, I really don't think they were going to score a touchdown in that situation anyways. So now you're just being, you're nitpicking. You're trying to find somebody to blame. That's it. And, and finally, let's get to the pass interference. Uh, last play of the game, Rudolph, the tight end for the Vikings. Look, I mean, he, he pushed off. Um, but as we've seen all year with this P.I. call, is that they're not going to overturn it. Now, the one thing I was kind of disappointed is they didn't try to review it. Um, you know, I don't, I don't understand. I don't understand how that was such a big topic and a big topic throughout the season, especially with the Saints, because <laughs> Sean Payton's the one that, that bitched about it all year long, about reviewing PIs, and they didn't even go to the booth to review that play. That, that was interesting, to say the least, because, I mean, he did push off, and Technically, it was pass interference. Now, was it the most blatant thing in the world? No. And if, if you do slow-mo replay on everything, you can call a penalty on everything. Everything looks dramatic, right? Um, I think NFL, cause let's flip the table. I think they did a good job in not calling it at that point. You don't want to make some crucial call. And then now, all the publicity and the PR is about how your officiating is terrible. They changed the call. Um so from an NFL standpoint, not a Saints fan standpoint, I think the NFL did a good job on that, PR-wise. If they would have they reviewed it, and let's say they overturned it, oh my God. The ruckus you would have heard from the media, um, obviously the, the Minnesota fans, it, it would have been just, just crazy. So, and, and who's to say? I mean, they, they kicked a field goal, and the Saints, they don't score. Look, the Saints lost the game. They got outplayed in the trenches. And they had their opportunities, and they blew it. It's not the P.I. call. It's not like last year where, look, point blank, they tackled the receiver. Saints would have set up for a field goal and went to the Super Bowl. This is the wild card round. The Saints got outplayed when they were huge favorites. And they deserved to lose the game. So I absolutely do not want to hear anything about the P.I. call. Um, Yeah, probably pass interference, but at that point, that's just an excuse. So let's talk bigger picture like I was speaking of earlier. Let's talk Drew Brees, Sean Payton, what this loss means, what the past three years mean. I think at this point, and I hate being hyperbolic, but, you know, 
they've had the one Super Bowl championship throughout their tenure. Um, remember, he, Sean Payton, Drew Brees, the first year was 2006. And so now, 2020, they've been together 14 seasons. They have one Super Bowl. They've been to two NFC championships and lost. Look, right, wrong, or indifferent, you know what people are going to say, that they have underachieved. Sure, they've won a Super Bowl. That's great. But they have had a lot of opportunities with a lot of good football teams. I mean, I could pinpoint 06, 2011, the past three years, where they've had good teams and just couldn't get it done. You know, can you say they're choke guards? No, not necessarily. But, I mean, one can maybe argue that you look at 17 and, man, the Minnesota Miracle, I mean, I could argue that was a choke job. I mean, they... That was a terrible play by Marcus Williams, and you choked away that game. Then last year, you know, in your own building, NFC Championship, sure it was a bad call, but you had opportunities. And the offense, which is under Sean Payton and Drew Brees' control, did not show up. And same thing today. You were eight-point favorites at home in the wild card round. And offensively, you got dominated up front, no run game at all. And that, that was the story of the game. I mean, that the offense just wasn't very good. And I think that's what lost you the game. Because I thought the defense played well. Um, but historically, I think we're going to look back and obviously we're going to worship Drew Brees. And, and Sean Payton by no means should be like under fire or fire Sean Payton. I want Sean Payton to be the coach for the Saints forever until he's ready to go. Because you know with Sean Payton, he's a, he's a top five coach in the NFL. You know that you're going to have an opportunity to win. He, it's, it's almost like Andy Reid. Yeah, sure, he hasn't, won, he hasn't won a Super Bowl, but you know you're going to be in the hunt if he's the coach because he's, he's just that good of a coach. Same thing with Sean Payton. He's just that damn good of a coach. Um, but the storyline is going to be that they underachieved. You know, Drew Brees will have a statue outside the Superdome. He'll be, you know, loved forever in this region. But I will say if it ends today, if that was the last one, that they did underachieve, especially his past three years. I mean, geez. This year, they were really, really good. I mean, you go 5-0 and with Teddy Bridgewater, um, and then down the stretch, they looked amazing. That Tennessee game. Hell, even last week, I know Carolina wasn't trying, but they crushed them, did what they were supposed to do. It just hasn't worked out. And it, it almost like, how much longer can they continue this, right? I, I keep saying after every year, I just can't see them doing it again next year. And – the reality is, how much longer can Drew Brees continue to do this? You're seeing it with Brady. He's not the same guy. Now, Drew is a little more athletic than Brady, but how much longer you know, can he continue this? Does he come back? I think that's a storyline that will be interesting. Um, if I had to guess, I think he probably will come back. But for me, you got to start thinking, like, what's the future of your organization? I, I really do not believe it's Teddy Bridgewater. I think he's a smaller guy who's limited. I would describe him as a game manager. I don't think he has the physical, physical tools, and I think that he needs people to carry him. So I think, I, as far as me, as a fan of the Saints, I would like to one day see the Saints pick high in the draft and get them a, a young quarterback to build around, especially with Sean Payton, because you know he can groom a quarterback. And when I look at the, today's NFL, I look at the changing of the guard at the quarterback position. Now you're starting to see the old guys, right? Your Breeze, your Brady, Rivers, um, Eli Manning. See, these guys are filtering out, and they'll be gone soon. You know, 
what you're seeing now is in in look i know i you're not you're people aren't going to look for lamar jackson that's an outlier he is a freak athlete and a, a talent that we've never seen before there's no quarterbacks out there that can run a 4-3 and play like he can you can't look for that but what you can look for is mobile quarterbacks all right Deshaun watson isn't a 4-3 he's probably a 4-5 guy but he's mobile right uh wince is mobile you know, Wilson's mobile, Mahomes. And the reason I say that is not to go run the read option or the wildcat. It's that when you see what happens today, when your offensive line gets dominated and manhandled, and then there's guys coming at you like crazy, is that you don't have a quarterback that just falls down, like Tom, like Drew. You know, you get a guy who can, who can maneuver around the pocket, make things happen. You saw Deshaun Watson yesterday. He was making things happen when plays broke down. So, and especially if you have a, a really quality coach like Sean Payton, so you can get a quarterback that can play within the framework of the offense like Drew Brees. But, like I just said, when things break down and Daniel Hunter's coming at you and, you know, you don't know what to do, um, take a sack, throw it out of bounds, but you can get a guy who can make things happen. And I think that's the future of the NFL. I really do. Uh, and I think the Saints right now, I mean, how much more can you expect Drew Brees? Drew Brees going to be 41 years old. What more can you expect from him? You know, has this whole thing gone sour? Should they move on? I mean, that, that, that could be a question. Now, the Saints will never do that because they're an extremely loyal organization. And I like that about them. They're not going to make, you know, rash decisions like the Cleveland Browns and just fire everybody. Nobody needs to be fired. Um, do I think Drew Brees needs to be told to, to walk out the door? Not necessarily, but it's something they have to think about. You know, I mean, the guy's going to be 41. You know, and the NFL's changing as we, before our eyes, NFL's changing. I think the Saints have to be aware of that situation, that things are changing. I also kind of dove into some of these losses, right? So, like, historically, when we look back at this Sean Payton and Drew Brees era, you know, a lot of times, like, when we tell the story of, name that quarterback, right? Of, man, well, they only had one Super Bowl, right? Like, let's talk Big Ben. Well, Big Ben, you know, he lost to Brady all those years. And Peyton Manning, one of the greatest ever, but he lost to Brady all those years, right? But it's Tom freaking Brady he lost to. Um, let's look at who the Saints have lost to. So, the Saints, like, and Sean Payton and Drew Brees, if they were to use this argument where well, we, we came so close, like at least they could say, man, lost to Aaron Rodgers, or we lost to Brett Favre, Russell Wilson, Tom Brady, Peyton Manning. Let me give you who they've lost to. And, and, just, and look, mind you, yes, the quarterback position is very important, but it, it isn't like, you know, it doesn't signal the whole aspect of the team, but it is a huge part, and this is going to be part of the story. They lost to Rex Grossman, Alex Smith, Case Keenum, Jared Goff, Kirk Cousins, and Matt Hasselback. I mean, those aren't first ballot Hall of Famers. <laughs> so that's also head-scratching. I mean, those guys are very, very average, and those are the quarterbacks he lost to. So that'll be uh, another piece of the story when it's all said and done with, with the breeze Peyton era so just so many things to think about um obviously upsetting because once again I'm gonna give you an example how the NFL just completely changes on its head and but that but that's what's great about the league 
That's why I think it thrives because it's the best reality TV show you can find because it's it's so hard to predict, but it's so hard to win. That's why what New England has done for the past 20 years is amazing and will never be replicated ever again. That's why Tom Brady and Bill Belichick have my respect forever. For them winning that much Super Bowls, going to that much Super Bowls is so hard. Just remember this. Not a year ago, Sean McVay was the sexiest coach in football. Everybody wanted to have a Sean McVay, a young, offensive, bright mind guy, right? The talk of the town. You had to have a Sean McVay. The Rams, that's how you do it, man. You get big name guys. Um, practice, don't worry. We got, I got practice too hard. I'm not going to hit. That's the way you do it, man. And the Rams didn't make the playoffs this year. And people were highly critical of Sean McVay this year. Todd Gurley was, by, by the midway part of last year, Todd Gurley was like by far the best running back in the league. Now he has an arthritic knee and people you know, question, can he still play? That's how fast things change. And, and, and that's why it's so tough to win in the NFL. And so for me, that's why it, it's even a tougher pill to swallow with the Saints. Just because you know, man, it, it just, it's so difficult to get there, and I thought the Saints the past three years had that opportunity, especially this year. Just things didn't go their way, and that's why I said that that bye was going to be huge. You were going to have a home game, but you were going to get to avoid a Minnesota. Minnesota is a team that is a bad matchup for the Saints. They reminded me a lot of San Francisco, which actually the Saints in the the regular season played well against, but a a team that can rush the passer and get a really good defensive line is what's going to give the Saints trouble. And it's going to negate your run game. And you get a 5'11 quarterback like Drew Brees, who's not mobile, and, and you get that pass rush on him, he's in a bind. And, and that, that, that was the story of it. Finally, I'm going to get to something that I don't think a lot of people are talking about, but I've noticed over the past couple of weeks. Now, he actually had a, a decent game two weeks ago. But that is Alvin Kamara, who I thought was a rock star the past two years. He must be hurt. He just doesn't look the same. And they could not get the running game going at all, which leads me to a bigger point is before the season started, I might have touched on this in a previous podcast, but I was a believer that you don't pay receivers, right? They're away from the football. Drew can make any any guy look good. Man, you paid Michael Thomas this year, and he could have just rested on his laurels, got my money, got the bag, just going to, you know, I'm going to play my game, but, you know, we're not going to be as hungry. This guy had a year. And I think if you have another weapon offensively, that helps. Jared Cook helped Drew Brees out a lot. So what I I conclude after this year is that I pay receivers, especially with the game the the way it is now. You can't hold the receivers, can't do all that stuff. I mean, you could beat the crap out of a running back, right? They're, They're free game. So ultimately, I wouldn't pay a running back. If Alvin Kamara comes to me like an Ezekiel Elliott situation next year and says, I want to get paid, hit the door. You know, I'll get a guy in the draft, uh, you know, a little, you know, scat back, third down guy, catch balls on the backfield. Hell, I'll draft Clyde Eversley Lair. All right. Because it shows you in a game like this, they're just going to negate your run game. So it didn't matter. Once again, I think he, he, he's probably injured, if I had to guess. He just doesn't look the same. But I would pay a receiver. You paid Michael Thomas, man. He earned every penny. I mean, he carried you at certain points of the year. So that's a big conclusion I have as well is that, you know, look, going forward, Michael Thomas is a hell of an investment. And the Saints, I would caution you, 
very highly <laughs> that do not give huge money to Alvin Kamara because that is going to backfire on you. So just, you know, finally, once again, I know everybody's down about the loss. Um, and I'm just very curious to see what the next move is for the Saints. What does Drew Brees do? Personally, I would think about turning the page on the whole thing. But we're going to keep a close eye on it. So let's do our weekly Joe Burrow talk. You know I love talking about him. He's my guy. Um, once again, a topic I've, I've continued to talk about uh, throughout the year and the season is that people are going to try to try to pick apart Joe Burrow uh, going into the draft. And one of the arguments I've been hearing is that, well, we have the next couple years uh, really good quarterback prospects. You got Joe, you got Tua, Herbert, um, and then next year you have Fields, you have Lawrence. And, and what I've heard is that all those guys besides Joe Burrow are generational talents, right? They have those physical tools. They're tall, they, they, great arm, can run. Have we not learned that that doesn't matter? Drew Brees and Tom Brady, the most successful quarterbacks still playing, like as far as their tenure, there aren't. Drew Brees is 5'11, 6' foot, does not run a 4'3, does not have a rocket arm. It's intangibles. Sure, you have to have ability, you have to be a good athlete. You have to be able to throw the ball. But that's not, like, being a generational talent does not, like, for instance, Josh Allen, who I watched yesterday, who was, like, hot garbage, is a, what you would call, generational talent. He's 6'6", probably runs a 4'5", has a rocket for an arm, and he was disastrous in crunch time. Because it's about intangibles. It's about making people better. Accuracy is huge, right? Precision. It's not, you know, how tall you are, how far you could throw the ball, you know, how fast you are. Sure, they have some guys in the NFL right now, you know, noteworthy like Mahomes, Lamar Jackson, you know, Watson, who you can, I guess you can classify as a generational talent just because, like, they're just so athletic. Like, even a Carson Wentz, big, athletic, strong arm, Lamar Jackson, you cannot run like that. Pat Mahomes, mobile and has a cannon for an arm. Watson, phenomenal athlete. But that's not what it, it comes down to. Once again, obviously we're going to talk Drew Brees because he's close to home. It hits our hearts. It's intangibles, man. It's accuracy. To me, it's you know knowledge of the game, leadership, which I would classify as intangibles, but also accuracy. That is so huge. Your ball placement and, and where you put the football, because obviously you've heard it all the time. It's cliche. The windows shrink in the NFL. Guys aren't open. You've got to throw them open. And I think Joe Burrow's that guy. I mean, he has these intangibles, son of a coach, um, just a, a leader of men, you know, accuracy. He's, you know, got like, what is it, like a 70% thrower right now? It's insane. And once again, like I said last week, that, you know, if you want to kind of poo-poo the whole situation by saying it's Joe Brady, you think a 30-year-old dude, now nah, I'll give him his props. He's, he's obviously really good. And he changed the whole dynamic of LSU. But do you think a 30-year-old dude is just that dynamic of a coach? Like, he is the greatest offensive coach ever? I don't know. I'd kind of scratch my head at that. That it's essentially him just pulling the strings. Hey, Joe, you can't play a lick, and let me, let me drag you to a Heisman Trophy. Miles Brennan, you're up next. Like, that's not how it works. Joe Burrow, Brady has helped him, obviously. Man, he is the real deal. And you know people are going to pick him apart. But once again, I think he's just the perfect mix of 
good talent. He's a good athlete, all right? But I don't need my quarterback to be Lamar Jackson. I don't need him to run a 4-3. You know, Joe will probably run a 4-6, four, uh, four, four, probably a 4-7. You know, I don't need my quarterback to be Josh Allen, you know, or, or Paxton Lynch, 6-6, six, 6-7, six, six, um, you know, rocket arm. No, I, I, he's 6-3, six, 6-4, six, which is completely fine. We've seen Drew Brees is like 6-foot. Russell Wilson is like 5'11". 6'4 is plenty good enough. Um, as far as rocket arm, I mean, Lamar Jackson doesn't have a rocket arm. Neither does Brady. Neither does Breeze. Neither does Wilson. Okay? Neither does Deshaun Watson. His arm is completely good enough. It's about accuracy. And he is the most accurate quarterback in college football history. He has the tools to be successful. Um, the bad thing, though, and somebody brought up a good point one of the shows I was listening to, and I've talked about it before that Cincinnati is a terrible organization. Sometimes it'll help you if you fall. That's what's really going to help Tua. Is if he falls to falls a little later in the draft, which I don't think he will, but if he would, that would be to his benefit because you'll fall to a better organization who will lead you to success. Lamar Jackson gets drafted first overall by the Cleveland Browns. He is not having this type of success. He was fortunate. Don't let people fool you and, and try to make this sob story. Oh, my God, he fell in the draft. He fell in the draft, and it worked out to his benefit because now he's got John Harbaugh in a great organization who has a history of winning, unlike the Cleveland Browns, you know, unlike the New York Jets who could have drafted him, you know, unlike the Buffalo Bills who've been just horrendous the past 20 years. So it worked, it worked out for him, and that could work out for Tua. Now, Joe Burrow is probably going to get drafted by the Cincinnati Bengals, who are a terrible organization historically. Not very good. And I've said before, what if he would pull a Elway, pull a Eli Manning and say, I'm not going to Cincinnati. But then again, that's not going to happen. Obviously, I don't think he's that type of guy and he, he's too prideful. But Cincinnati is in Ohio and he had that heartfelt speech about Southeast Ohio. I mean, how is that going to look? Don't you think that would look a little hypocritical after he had that very heartfelt speech about you know Southeast Ohio, how much he loves it. He loves his roots from Ohio that he would bail on him. Hey, sorry guys, not coming to Cincinnati. Y'all suck. Bye, Ohio. Like it's that's not gonna happen. And so, you know, I wish another team would trade up for him just so I could see him have success. Because any team he goes to, that's gonna be another team to root for. Especially the people in this region of the country who are LSU fans. I mean, you're gonna be rooting for Joe Burrow and his team. You know, Cincinnati, they have the pieces, but historically, just franchise-wise, it's gonna be hard to overcome an inept franchise. So ultimately, though, like if I had to say there was a guy who can, you know, take a franchise to the next level, it's not a, a, you know, a D-bag like Baker Mayfield who really doesn't have a lot of talent. Joe Burrow has talent, and I think he has the makeups and the intangibles to be successful. And uh, very excited to see how the, the draft process goes. That you know, that people are going to break him down, like I said. But I'm, I'm excited to see the chatter. Um, and, and I'm very curious to see if anybody's going to trade up and how much people like Joe Burrow and how does he test, you know, what are people saying about him? Because you know he's probably going to do great on the whiteboard. You know, I want to see what he runs and, and just, you know, all this stuff. And, and I'm excited to see the process. Topic I want to get into right here is a, a comparison. And it's something somebody told me once, and it made sense. And it's when I wasn't really, really high on the Coach, Ho- the coach O hire. Um, but things were starting to shape up a little bit in 18. And somebody brought this point to me that, that he's a Dabo Sweeney type, Coach O. And what he is is more of a CEO guy, uh, a guy who, who kids love to play for. 
Um, he inherited the job kind of like Dabo Sweeney did. Dabo Sweeney was a wide receivers coach uh, for Clemson, and he inherited the job when Tommy Bowden got fired. And then Coach O, obviously when Les got fired, he was a D-line coach, and he got the interim job and, and won over the team and eventually got the head coach a position. And they're fiery guys. You know, they're guys who are great recruiters. And most importantly, they're guys who coaches want to be around. What's going to be the fall of Bama isn't Nick Saban himself. It's going to be that Nick Saban can't keep a staff. Nick Saban can't just have continuity because, look, it just is what it is. I mean, phenomenal coach, but he just seems like an extremely tough guy to work for. Um, Just... You know, and look, but that's what's made him, you know, successful is that he keeps pushing, 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 but essentially people just get tired of that, which is the opposite. I mean, look at look at Clemson. Brent Venables has been there how long? I mean, he's the best defensive coordinator in football. You hear it all the time. He's been there forever. He's probably had you know chance after chance to get a head coach position, but he turns it down, you know, because he wants to work for Dabo Swinney because he seems like a great guy to work for. He can keep a staff. He can keep players. Like maybe if you're a fringe guy who could be a third or fourth round pick, you want to stay there. You want to play for Dabo. You want to play for Coach O. I mean, look at Dave Aranda. Dave Aranda's had opportunities probably to leave, but he loves Coach O. He loves working for him. Hopefully that's still the same case for Joe Brady and Steve Insminger. So that's that's a that's where they're super, super comparable. Like they 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 remind me of each other. Here's where they're different, and this is where I'm going into the, the bigger picture of the game going forward. Is that the whole year this is why, you know, I've, you, I've really fell in love with Coach O, and I love his philosophy. It just seems like Dabo Sweeney, the past couple of years, is always trying to pull the poor me card. Um, you know, he even made a comment going to this game that it was basically like a road game for us. Yeah, well, nobody scheduled it. It just happened to fall that way, okay? And it, it, he's acting as if Clemson is in Alaska, and, and they're having to travel, you know, uh, you know, two days by bus to get there. It's not the case. Clemson will be like a short, you know, hour and a half, two hour plane ride to New Orleans, and they'll bring fans. You know, obviously they'll will bring more because it's right down the road. But he's used that all year long as the poor me stuff, and nobody likes us. And and where it's it's you know, Coach O has just been bring them on anywhere, anytime, in no excuse. Coach O's really, really good at the media this year. If you watch him, he gives you nothing. You could ask Coach O a specific question, like, you know, I don't know, like an injury of a player. Like, let's say, let's say Michael Divinity, right? Let's talk. So, Coach uh, Divinity, is he going to get some snaps this week? He would just per- essentially go around the question and say, in, in, in which, in a couple words, that he's excited about the game. You know, he's not going to give you anything. It's just downright, let's go get it. We're not making excuses. We're not going to talk about nonsensical BS or poor me stuff. We'll play you anytime, anywhere. When it was a debate, one, two, Ohio State, LSU, it was, it doesn't matter. Let's go play. Let's go get them. Everybody else was poor me, poor me. We should be number one, Ohio State. Clemson was upset, you know, first time ever national champion goes undefeated and they're ranked third. That hasn't been the case for Coach O, and that's a big reason, in which we'll dive more into a podcast this week about the game. Um, man, it, very excited, obviously. The huge game, huge ramifications, national championship on the line. But this is why I kind of like the Tigers in this one, because of the mentality of the team. 
My final takeaway is going to be LSU Saints. Obviously, people listening are from the Louisiana area. It has been a phenomenal year as a football fan in the state. The Saints, division champs, 13-3. Obviously, we've talked about it. Nauseam, they lost you know, this afternoon. Tough on the swallow, but the overall takeaway for me, let's back away a little bit. Look, it's hard to win, but they've given you so much joy throughout the years. Waking up on Sundays, doesn't matter who they play, you know they got a shot, and that's what you want for as a fan. LSU this year has been historic. They're going into this national championship game, and they're favored to win it. I think they will. So it's been an amazing year for both teams, and we're lucky as fans of these teams just to see the success they're having. It's fun. It's awesome. My takeaway is going to be this, and it's more like a, 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 I don't know if it's like a goofy fan takeaway, but, but what pulls more at, at the heartstrings, right? What tugs you in that direction? You know, what means more to you? What do you feel more? What, what loss hurts the most? And, and for me, it's always been LSU. And I think a lot of people I've talked to ha- have said that. And I'm going to explain to you why. Obviously, the Saints, when they lose, it, it sucks. You know, it hurts. Now, I'm not, you know, a 15-year-old kid anymore, so I'm over it very quickly. Yes, it, it sucks when your team loses. But for the Saints, I've seen it before. They'll be back next year. Um, I told myself after 09 that they might not ever get to another Super Bowl again. So you set the bar low. But ultimately, I get over it. But an LSU loss is tough to get over. Um, and I'm going to tell you why. When I look at LSU, and I look at the SEC, let's talk SEC. Why has the SEC been so successful? It's because, obviously, the footprint. The footprint of the SEC is amazing hotbed of recruiting. When you look at Alabama, Louisiana, Mississippi, Texas, Florida, Georgia, you know, and several states surrounding. Great, you know, recruiting hotbed. So obviously that helps. But what helps more is that it just, it's so corny, but it means more to people in the SEC. The fan base, the want to win is at such a high level that it pushes people, right? That's why USC, that's why all these other schools out west, they don't have success because their will to win isn't big. Down here it is. A lot of it's probably to do, and I go way back, and I could be wrong, is that you know, post-Civil War, a long time ago, uh, the South coming off, the, you know, losing the Civil War, you know, I think a lot of that pride in your state could, you know, could have come from that. And still lingers to this day. That long ago, that, that people in the South have so much pride in where they come from, you know. And, and what I mean by that with LSU and, and the fandom, and why does it hurt to lose as much, is that when I look at the Saints, yes, the Saints are from Louisiana, but these players aren't. These players, if you could look at it, are like hired guns. They're paid to go play on your team in New Orleans. Like they're not from New Orleans, they're not from Louisiana. But you love them, right? Because they're saints. They, they wear the helmet. They wear the black and gold. And that's your team. But the kids from LSU have chosen to go there. They wanted to go to LSU. They're from Louisiana. And if they're not from Louisiana, they wanted to wear the purple and gold. They chose you. They chose you as a state. You didn't go to the draft and say, I'm drafting you whether you like it or not. You come and play. I'm going to give you a paycheck so you stay happy. No, these are kids that are coming to school to wear the purple and gold because they have that pride, the same pride you have in the program, right? 
They're not hired guns. They're you, man. They're kids from Louisiana, kids from the South, who love the purple and gold, who always dreamed of wearing that helmet and that jersey. And it just, it feels good. It feels better, right? When they go on to take Clemson, that's your state, man. That's Louisiana. If the Saints playing the Super Bowl, it's awesome. Drew Brees is from Austin, Texas. He went to Purdue. Probably dreamed of playing at Texas, right? He never thought he would end up in New Orleans. You know what I mean? Um, you know, Alvin Kamara went to school at Alabama, went to school at Tennessee. Michael Thomas, you know, went to Ohio State. These aren't people from the South. You know, love them. Great players for the Saints. But they're ultimately hired guns. LSU and these kids, that's what pulls your heart because that's your state, man. Those kids dreamed of it just like you, like I said. And that's why the losses are hard because it's, it's more of a representation of your state. State's got problems, right? Louisiana, 50th about everything you know, <laughs> that there is. But you still love your team, man. LSU, it, it represents us. We could be 50th in everything, okay? But on January 13th, that Monday night, that's our night, man. That's Louisiana's night to shine. And that's something that I think all people and all fans of LSU in this region are proud of. You know, I have a friend that lives in New York, and he, he shows clips of watching the games in Manhattan at uh, Legends Bar, and the people are going crazy. There's people from Louisiana. It's transplants, and they, they're wearing the purple and gold. And they're, they're just, it's a ruckus environment, and they're so happy to see the success of LSU because it's, it's representative of where they come from. They might not agree with everybody's opinion from Louisiana, they might be left-leaning politically, right? In, a right, in a right-leaning state. But you never forget where you come from. And you're rooting for the state of Louisiana when you're rooting for LSU. And so that's why the losses are tougher. So final takeaway as well is that let's cross our fingers that we don't have to have a quote-unquote tough loss next Monday night.